0: Welcome back to Health Call Live. If you've got a question, you don't have to give blood to get the answer. Just call us at 447-1190.
1: So, how are you feeling this morning? A little stressed out, maybe a little uptight about this or that? You know, it's not uncommon at all. I was shocked this week when I saw a study that said there has been a 34% increase in the number of patients using anxiety and depression medications since the pandemic. Think about that. There already were a ton of people taking these meds, and now 34% more are. Easy to understand why. So much uncertainty, it seems, in our lives recently. You know, How am I going to make ends meet with gas prices and inflation? If the economy falls off the cliff, am I going to keep my job? Is war with China going to happen? What's had next with COVID? All that stuff, even if you're not consciously aware of it, can really drag on you. And so many things that we just don't control now are influences in our lives. It gives your brain lots of things to stew over and psychotherapist Nancy Collier says that is something your brain just loves to do. She has written a book called can't stop thinking how to stop negative thinking and free yourself from excessive rumination. She told me your brain can work like a broken computer that just get trapped in a loop of gloom and doom. So why is that?
2: We are driven by negative thoughts because the mind thinks incorrectly that if it keeps keeps focusing on negative thoughts, it will prevent those negative things from happening to us. And ultimately. Our focus on negative thinking is to try and keep us alive. It sounds sort of odd, but the mind loves to have a bone. It loves to chew on something, solve problems. That's when the mind is happiest. And when we have a problem and there's something we can fix, the mind is delighted. It's absolutely delighted. And if we look back, you know, thousands of years ago, in these forests where we had to keep ourselves alive, we focused on where danger might be coming from. And it was—it made a lot more sense to focus on what could kill us than, oh, how do we create joy or how do we create pleasure? And the problem is we got kind of stuck there. Neurologically, we're actually programmed to focus on survival, trying to keep the bad things away, um, and now most of the bad things are emotionally related. It's emotional survival we're after. You know, we, we don't live in a, a place where we're going to have a stick coming at us, or most of us don't. But um, we still stay stuck in that. How do we protect ourselves? How do we protect our identity? How do we stay safe in the eyes of others? The other thing I would say Lee, is that we have this mistaken belief that the answer to every problem is more thinking. We're convinced of that. From the time we're born, we're taught that thought is the answer to everything. Here is the, the one takeaway if you get from, from this book is it's not. We all know that we've thought through most of our problems, thousands and thousands and thousands of problems. There's no diamond at the bottom of the rubble. And it's so counterintuitive that when we have a problem that we don't know how to fix, to turn away from it. It just doesn't make sense to us. And yet that's freedom.
1: So that's the ruminating that you talk about in the book, right? We just keep going over that and we relive negative circumstances, negative events so much more often than we do positive events. And what's that ratio? I think you said five to one in your book.
2: We know that we are neurologically wired to have more energy go towards negative experiences. And, you know, if we look at, I did, you know, hundreds and hundreds of interviews. And there are a bunch of categories. There are grievance. You know, we spend a lot of time going over and over what happened to us that shouldn't have happened. We we and we do that because it's so strange, but we're trying to make it okay that it happened. And we're trying to bring ourselves some empathy. It shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened. So the thoughts, again, we have to take the side of the thoughts. The thoughts are trying to help us out by saying, can you believe he did that? Can you believe she said that? Or, for example, we're going over and over regret. That's a big one. Why did I do that? I knew better, right? Even knowing better, we still made that choice. We have a lot of trouble letting that go or we go over planning, 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 over and over for something that, you know, is to come. We do that because we can't bear this. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. So I keep thinking, well, if I go through it enough, then I'll be prepared for all of the options that could come. What we can't tolerate is, I don't know.
1: So so what's wrong with all that obsessive thinking? What are we missing out on? What are we giving up by focusing and preparing for the future that we can't control?
2: We're missing our life. We're missing our life, and I say that, Lee, not to be dramatic, but it is really the truth. There's evidence that 50% of our time is lost in thought. It's just lost. We're somewhere else. I'm walking through a beautiful meadow full of flowers. Where am I? I'm in the argument that I had that morning, or why didn't my daughter do this or this or this? It's no small affair. We're missing out on the direct experience of life. A friend of mine said to me yesterday, she said, you know, I I got to uh, take a walk in nature with my, one of her five children. And she said, the whole time I was on the walk, I was thinking, isn't this great? I should do this more often. Why don't I spend more time with this child? Darn. And I love that completely narrating the whole experience and completely not there. So that's what we miss. We get to live. You know, if something's going to come down the pike, some catastrophe or whatever it might be, difficult situation, I trust that when that time comes, if I'm present with it, I'll do the best I can in that moment. But I don't need in this moment to keep rehearsing it, rehearsing it. All that does is then I know I'll get to live it For sure, one time, maybe twice, but everything that comes down the pike, it never has anything to do with what we've prepared for anyway. So we actually, you know, these these thinking obsessions, this addiction to thinking, the addiction we don't even know we have, it kidnaps our life, ultimately, our attention, which is our greatest asset.
1: So, this is a bigger deal than I really realized. Oh, by the way, that is Nancy Collier. She is the author, uh, psychotherapist and author of a book called Can't Stop Thinking. This whole idea of being trapped in negative thoughts is just something I've not lived with. But as I read more and studied this, man, I was surprised to find this is truly a big issue. There are triggers for people. Certain activities and behaviors trigger those negative thoughts, and they just get trapped in a loop. So, there are a lot of things that you can do to get around this this problem exercise spending time in nature all those things are thought to and proven by science to uh, to have an impact on that and nancy says it, there's a video version of this interview quite a bit longer than we had time for here that's up online on the health call website right now so if you want to go watch it's healthcall.live healthcall.live and one of the things that nancy talks about is Uh, We need to realize that thoughts are things, but we don't have to pay attention to them. You can observe a thought and recognize, hmm, that's an interesting negative thought. I don't know why I thought that, but I'm going to choose not to follow through on that. And just don't let those thoughts... Get ahead of you and control your life. Pretty, if you're one of those people who has that negative thought cycle as part of your stress mechanism, interesting to learn more. And uh, Nancy Collier's description is pretty interesting if you want to take a look at that longer interview up online. So that's one approach. There is another author I spoke to who has a different approach. And she says that you can start your day with some thinking about mental health and maintaining your mental wellness. And that can really make a big change over the course of a month. So we're going to talk with Lori Miller when we come back and continue our look at managing stress and anxiety and anxious times on the Health Call Live Radio Hour on WoWo.
0: This is Health Call Live. We're glad you're listening, but... Don't be afraid to call and ask your question on the air. It's free, non-invasive, and best of all, you don't have to wear an exam gown. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent Lee Kelso.
1: And this half hour, we're putting a little thought into... Taking a look at drug-free approaches to dialing down the stress and anxiety levels in our lives, you know, there are so many health conditions that are aggravated by stress and anxiety. In many cases, you just don't realize that stress level, we've all come to kind of accept it as normal, when actually, you know, our body is cranking out all kinds of... uh, chemicals associated with stress and affecting everything from our cardiovascular health and our hormonal balances, a lot of different things. So controlling your brain's love of pondering gloom and doom is what our psychotherapist Nancy Collier just explained. But now we're going to turn to Lori Miller, who is author of a book called 31 Days of Mental Health Moments. It's a collection of suggestions and reminders It can help you get a handle on that feeling that, well, you know, you're just kind of always on the edge.
3: Yeah, and that's a great point because you're right. I think we tend to think of mental health and and poor mental health associated with certainly clinical anxiety and depression. But sometimes I think we don't realize that when we have stress in various domains of our life, like if we're having a health crisis of some kind or um, we having issues with some of our kids or just other areas work stress all those areas sort of pile on top of each other And it's kind of a feeling of like what is happening right now? I can't handle this Why can't I handle this and it, it's kind of creates this angst and this overall feeling of restlessness if that's the right word that I can't get on top of the things I need to take care of and I feel like I'm losing control and what's happening here Those are the kinds of things I hear from people so while it's not necessarily that they can put their finger on it and say, I have anxiety, sometimes the things they express that are just trying to manage everyday life is anxiety. And that's how it's coming out is just their inability to focus and concentrate at work and uh, just things like that. So it's, that I find is actually more prevalent even than, I mean, diagnostically, anxiety and depression are highly diagnosed. But that sort of undercurrent of overwhelm is really, really prevalent out there. And I don't think a lot of people really see that
1: in themselves. So uh, let's talk about some strategies for coping with that overwhelm, that epidemic of anxiety. I mean, gosh, how many people are taking Prozac and, and all of those things? Mm-hmm.
3: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's the idea, too, that, you know, life is just <laughs> life is crazy anymore, I think. Um, we have things coming at us from all different directions. And sometimes I don't think we stop and think, you know, should I be doing this right now? Should I be answering this email? Should I be, you know, talking to this person? Should I have this person in my life? All of those kinds of things, sort of we live our life and we try to check the boxes and we try to take care of things. Um, And then, so sometimes when it overwhelms us, we think, well, what else can I do? I'm already trying to take care of things. And then we start looking for other ways to manage that anxiety, to manage that, feeling of restlessness the racing thoughts when we're trying to sleep um, that feeling of losing control Um, and that's a that's a really big one for a lot of people
1: yeah it sure is so what are some strategies for handling all those racing thoughts
3: you know the first thing i start with with most of my clients is breathing. I talk a lot about breathing in the book a few different times and it sounds so simple because you have to breathe if you're alive. (laughs) It's kind of, and it's involuntary. We don't have to think about it. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's a specific technique for deep breathing. And by deep breathing, I mean, breathing from your diaphragm, because there's a lot that goes on there. And that vagus nerve that runs from the bottom of your spine down through your stomach and it's behind your diaphragm. So when you breathe from your diaphragm and you breathe from your belly, you actually press on that nerve, and that nerve is responsible for calming you down. Um, I use the analogy a lot of times with my clients that, you know, folks that are in high-pressure situations, first responders, people like that that have to get it right in the moment, they learn how to breathe that way because they have to be calm in the moment. They can't freak out. They have to be able to control their blood pressure, their heart rate, their you know, the ability to sweat, all of those things to control that fight or flight. So when we're having one of those days where just like things are spinning out of control and you're brain is just going and it won't stop to take a minute there's a couple of apps that are out there that are really great for walking you through how to breathe from your diaphragm take five minutes to just sit and breathe and it it doesn't make you necessarily want to run through the tulips and be super excited about life necessarily but it'll take the edge off and you can function and you can finish your day or finish that meeting or whatever it is that's causing you anxiety so that's a big one that's that's one of the that's one of the things i start with
1: so the Uh, The idea of worry is just overwhelming for lots of people. They just worry all day long about all types Mm -hmm. of things. What do Mm -hmm. I need to know about worry?
3: Well, worry is actually about something that's always in the future, right? So we're always worrying about things that could happen. But what I find a lot of times, and I think most of us can attest to this in our life, most of the things we worry about actually really never happen. It's usually the thing that kind of comes from the blindsides us and comes from the side that we're like, oh, I wasn't even anticipating that. So, in that idea, in the book, I talk about how worry is not preparation. Um, you can certainly prepare um, for a hurricane, for a snowstorm, um, for a financial issue down the road. You want to be prepared. You want to make good decisions about things, but consistently worrying about it doesn't mean that you're getting ready for it. It just means you're using your valuable energy and your brain power to worry about something that probably will never happen. And it's true, a lot of people are, anxiety is just living in the future, that's all it is. We're forecasting something that could happen, or probably won't happen, but it could. So it's a big problem for a lot of people. And it's, it's one area that I start with to say, you know, hey, you gotta live in the, in the moment and really focusing on mindfulness and, and experiencing the present moment that you're in right now. Sometimes that's enough to distract you from that worry about what could happen in the future.
1: So I want to come back to that because, you know, if I, if I, many people here stop worrying, don't worry about that and they can't Mm -hmm. control it. Those thoughts are ever present. Do you have a strategy, a technique for helping me get past that?
3: Yeah, great one. I call it the what if game. Just, you know what, if you're worried about something in particular, go ahead and run it out play the movie forward. As I say, you know, if you're worried about um, losing your home, let's say, okay, let's say that you do. uh, they foreclose on you. You lose your home. What happens? Well, okay. I move in with my parents. Okay. Well then what happens when you move in with your parents? Well, now I don't have a place to live, you know, and you kind of walk it through to the end. And what you find is when you get to the end of that movie, whatever the circumstances are, you usually find you can live with it. You may not be happy about it, but you can live with it and you can handle it. And sometimes just going ahead and go with it. If you're going to worry, just let's, let's take it forward. Let's talk about it. Let's see where it goes and then decide whether or not you can live with it and sometimes that makes enough of a difference to kind of say well okay it won't be the best thing that ever happened to me but I can handle it and I'll be okay and sometimes that's what we need to hear because it's when we worry we're just we're kind of forecasting all these horrible things that could happen and we don't stop to think well okay what if they do happen there's probably a solution and an answer that I can find in that moment to help address it
1: And that is Lori Miller. She is the author of a book called 31 Days of Mental Health Moments. You can find it online at mymentalhealthmoment.com. A longer version of my interview with Lori is available now on the Health Call website. You can go to healthcall.live. That's healthcall.live.com e and uh, you can buy a copy of her book for really less than the cost of a trip to Am- or to uh, Starbucks if you want it 's available out there on on Facebook you know and I think that um, there are some really good points that she makes about worry being a fear of things that haven 't happened and aren 't going to and may never happen, but you 're spending so much time in the moment living in the future and rehearsing for something that again may never happen her book really details some rituals that you can go through each day to kind of get your thoughts under control to recognize some errors in your thinking that may be causing you stress and anxiety so you know as as people are so uptight these days just wanted to put this information out there for you and Hope it's helpful in some way. We're going to be taking a look in coming weeks at long COVID. This is a big deal. Saw a study this week that said one in eight people are now suffering the consequences of COVID long after they have recovered. And we're talking here about neurological deficits, uh, you know, how your brain is functioning, how well you're thinking, problems with your cardiovascular system, and digestive issues that stretch on forever. So we're going to talk about that with Diana Barents. She is the founder of something called the Survivor Core, and learn more about what is being done, what's effective in the prevention of conditions related to long COVID. We have that and so much more in the future. Hope that you'll join us each Saturday morning at 9. And then if you miss any of the live episodes, you can always check us out on all the major podcast services. Thank you so much for being here. Look forward to it every week, and I hope I'll see you next Saturday
0: morning. You've been listening to Health Call Live. Watch a recording of today's program on the Health Call Facebook page or on the web at www.healthcall.live. Drop us a line to recommend a guest or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us next Saturday at 9 a.m. for another edition of Health Call Live on WoWo 1190 a.m. and 1075 f.m.